Now, friends, I want to read you um, uh, Mark chapter 8, verses uh, 27 to 37. Now, it's not on the screen, but feel free to just listen in, and I'll, I'll be having a lot of it up on the screen when I, when I speak. It's uh, where Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. So Mark eight twenty seven. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you're the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But then Jesus turned and looked at his disciples. He rebuked Peter, get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. We're going to look at that in a second. Now, before that, there was um, an English tourist who was walking down the streets in Alice Springs he saw a truckie in a, you know, a truckie's navy blue singlet with a very big German shepherd dog next to him. And the English tourist thought to himself, I'm just dying to meet a real outback Aussie. So he walks up to him and uh, greets him and looks down at the dog and says, oh, does your dog bite? And the truckie replied, nah, it doesn't. So the tourist bent down to pat the dog and <laughs> he gets bitten really badly on the hand by the dog. And sort of stands upright, looks at the truckie and says to him, I thought you said your dog didn't bite. And the truckie looks at the dog, looks at the tourist and said, I did, but that's not my dog. <laughs> now, no doubt you've heard that before, but it's, it brings to our attention that it's very easy to misunderstand things in life. It's very easy to get confused about things in life. And when you talk to people about the meaning of life, there's a lot of confusion. When you talk to people, there's a lot of misunderstandings. And when you misunderstand the meaning of life, it has really, really bad effects, far worse effects than puncturing the skin on your right hand. Now, Jody's asked me to address the topic of uh, don't waste your life. And in order to do that topic justice, you've got, to, you've got to understand the meaning of life. You've got to ask the question, what is the meaning of life? So let's start with the world's answer to that question. What does the world think life is about? Well, the world thinks life is about happiness. At least that's what it's like in Mortdale where I live and um, that's, that's how people answer the question. Uh, 
it may be different here in Jamboree, I don't know, but let, let me explain how it goes in my neck of the woods. It basically works in line with this diagram here. And the diagram, the little squares are meant to be an arrow. One leads to one other thing. So, so it goes like this. What, what you're meant to do is study really hard, get really good marks, because if you get really good marks when you leave school, like an HSC mark or an ATAR score, then what you do is that's achieving step one. Now, why is it that parents fervently encourage their sons and daughters and nieces and nephews to study like this? Well, it's so that they'll get to step two. And step two is get high marks so that you can study a course that has the highest income to ATAR ratio that you possibly can so that you can have a lucrative career. Not a meaningful career, a lucrative career, one that earns a lot of dough. And why on earth would someone want to do that? So that you can get to step three, so that you can get the four Ps. What are the four Ps? Well, people I chat to, they're aiming to have a high position in a company, they're aiming to get a large pay packet, they want a postcode, you've got to buy a house, and then they also want peer approval, or sometimes parental approval. And why do they want the four Ps? Well, it's so you can go on to step four, because once you've got the four Ps, then you'll be happy. The assumption is that by getting the four Ps, you'll increase pleasure and decrease pain, you'll increase ease, and you'll avoid dis-ease. That's what the world thinks life is about. It's happiness. The world says, pursue happiness. It's the vast, it's the, it's the goal of the vast majority of people I know living around me when I tune in online somewhere or listen to different media, social or otherwise, that's the message. What's life about? The pursuit of happiness. Now, it's interesting. There are a few conscientious objectors out there, a few voices that beg to differ. And interestingly, they're not believers. They're not religious people at all. They're not Christians. Uh, let me give you some examples. In 2017, this book, Beautiful, Beautiful Failures, was written by Lucy Clark. How the Quest for Success is Harming Our Kids. It's autobiographical. A mum, a researcher, a journalist, she talks about her daughter's plunge into depression because of the world's expectations of what it is that she should be doing. Uh, Jordan Peterson. He's a clinical psychologist from Canada and he makes the point. He makes a, a big picture 40,000 foot point that I think is really helpful. He says that the vast majority of people, even in Western countries, families up until 1895 lived on the equivalent of today's money of $1 a day. That's what they had to struggle through in order to keep the wolf from the door and the tyrant at bay. The vast majority of people for the vast majority of, of history have endured unimaginable suffering. His advice is we've got a blip on the radar at the moment but it won't last long and if you delve into anyone's life there's, there's unmitigated disaster within it and their wider family anyway. So his, his, his advice to people is pursue meaning not happiness. He says to people and you might have seen him on Q&A, he says, carry the heaviest load you can bear in the service of others. Don't be one of those people who's 21 years old who critiques governments about how they run their country but you can't keep your room tidy. He says, pursue meaning, 
And ironically, you might find happiness, but that's not the goal. And then there's Mark Manson. In his New York Times bestseller, um, he writes this. The other issue with overvaluing material success is the danger of prioritising it over other values such as honesty, non-violence and compassion. When people measure themselves not by their behaviour but by the status symbols they are able to collect, then not only are they shallow, but they're probably jerks as well. I mean, Manson's fascinating. Manson says that he lives his life, not a Christian, he says that he, he lives his life by different values, um, non-violence, environmental responsibility, honesty, and he says other values like success, always being right, material wealth, you just have no control over those values. There's too many external competing contextual factors. They're ridiculous. So he aims to do those. And then if people criticise him when he's genuinely trying to live by those, he just practises the, the subtle art of not, not giving a continental. So as we try and answer the question, what's the meaning of life, we get the world's answer. And the world says that life is about happiness. And we've noted that there's a few dissenting voices. So how does Jesus answer the question? What does Jesus think the meaning of life is? Well, let's have a look at the passage that I read. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Now, there's a few things um, to notice here from this speech that Jesus gives. It's to the crowd and to the 12 apostles, and it's a, let me make myself clear, speech. Because Peter has just rebuked Jesus. Peter has just told Jesus, oh, Jesus, you actually don't need to go to the cross. And Jesus is hot under the collar. He's angry. Please notice what Jesus says. I'll paraphrase it. Sentence 34. Whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to learn me, be like me, must deny themselves. They must take happiness as their ultimate goal and flush it down the toilet. And take up their cross. They must take up their electric chair, expect a life of suffering, die to every selfish ambition, every act of selfish pleasure-seeking, every desire they have for their own esteem and peer approval and follow me. That's what we have to do according to Jesus. And why does Jesus suggest this course of action? What will be the result Well, sentence 35, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. You want to grasp for the four Ps, you'll lose it. But if you live for Jesus and his gospel, you'll save your life. But when you live in the world, there's going to be conflict, isn't there? Uh, Let me give you a concrete example of how this is 
uh, played out for me in my life. As I, I mentioned before, I grew up outside Albury on the border of New South Wales and Vic. I'm one of seven kids, uh, five boys, two girls. I love my parents a lot. Um, I want them to be proud of me. When I was at high school, I loved my high school friends a lot. I wanted them to be proud of me. I loved my community a lot. I wanted them to be proud of me. Now, 24 years ago, I had their respect because I'd travelled the path of the four Ps and I was working as a civil engineer. That was okay. People were happy with that. But then God miraculously stepped into my life and sent me on a different course. He, as I mentioned before, he, he put a bloke called Reese Bazant in my path and we read through Mark's Gospel once, one chapter a week. And just a couple of chapters on from what we're looking at tonight, we came across that summary statement that Jesus makes of his whole life. He says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Now, when Reese explained that to me, it just blew my head off. What are you saying? The Son of God, God in the flesh, the world's most courageous awesome, sacrificial, loving, powerful man. What did he come to do? He didn't come to set up a kingdom, create separate courts and cities that all honoured him. He came to die as a ransom for many. It's just absolutely extraordinary. That's the gospel of Jesus. It isn't goodianity. If I just do this, I can climb the stairway to heaven. It's he came and says, you're a wretch, you're a hostage, mate but not just a hostage, a wretched hostage who no one wants to save, not at least on planet Earth, but God in his mercy does and he sends the most precious life to be paid as a ransom to set you free. Couldn't believe it. Amazing. So over a period of time, I changed tack in life and stopped heading down the four Ps and went another way. So my life changed. And I remember one particular night becoming very aware of what my wider community thought of this change of direction. I was at the Faguna Golf Club, come back from uh, studying in, in the, on the holidays, come back from studying theology at, at Moore College in Sydney, back to the border. And I was at the Faguna Golf Club, it was Christmas Eve, mum and I had gone to the servery, we grabbed some meals and we were taking them back to our table and we ran into some of mum's friends. Anyway, they thought I was my twin brother. And he's a fine furniture maker in Beechworth. He sells tables for $10,000. Anyway, they're very warm to me. Lovely. But it came pretty clear pretty quickly that I wasn't the Beechworth furniture making brother. I was, they, they actually said it, oh, you're the Sydney one. <laughs> Which was their code for Bible basher, Jesus nut, blah, blah, blah. Happened in that moment. You see, what they thought was, you're a bloke who's given up on life. You've ditched the four Ps. You're now doing something that losers do, whereas what Jesus says is Jesus says that Jesus and his gospel is the place where you find life. Give up the four Ps and go for that, then you will not be giving up life. You will be indeed finding life. It's a bit like there's a set of scales. On one side are the four Ps and on the other side is Jesus and his gospel. 
What's the meaning of life? Which one is weightier? Which one has more value? Well, Jesus answers the question very clearly in sentence 36. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, 4,000 peas, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? It seems what is pretty clear is the most valuable thing is Jesus and his gospel. And what exactly would someone have to do to forfeit their soul? Well, Jesus explains in sentence 38, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, me and my gospel, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. I wonder how Peter felt when he said that. If anyone's ashamed of me and my cross, my gospel, my swap. So let's take a breather for a second. We travelled this afternoon, this evening. We've been trying to answer the question, what's the meaning of life? Now I've put forward two answers to the question. The world says that life is all about happiness, the four Ps. And Jesus thinks life is about Jesus and his gospel. Now at the beginning we realise that it's very easy to get confused and that sometimes there's some things that you can assume um, are harmless and they can actually bite. In my estimation and the estimation of others, the idea that life is about success, material wealth, pleasure, being esteemed by others is, it's not only impossible, it's actually very dangerous it seems harmless, like a purebred beagle puppy, but it's more like an attack dog, a German shepherd. Now, I suspect uh, it'll be no surprise to you that I think Jesus is right about the meaning of life, that it's about Jesus and his gospel. It's about the propagation of Jesus' words. So what does the world say? What does Jesus say? And the, and the third and last sort of heading I want to speak to you under is the is the heading, how do, we, how do we make the most of life? Don't waste your life some tips. So I've got about six or seven tips and they apply to different sort of demographics. So you may want to tune in, tune out at different stages as you see fit. Fathers. Fathers. Spend time in the scriptures yourselves. And if you spend time in the scriptures four times a week, which is more days than you don't, then there's a fair chance you'll have a vibrant relationship with Jesus. And it's really important for us dads to have a vibrant relationship with Jesus because as Tim Sims and Effective Ministries have found out from research, it's if a father has a vibrant relationship with Jesus, then there's an 80% chance, 8-0, that his children will also. If they don't have a vibrant relationship with Jesus, there's an 80% chance, 8-0, that their children will not have a relationship with Jesus either. Now, why am I speaking to the fathers and not the mothers? It's because the research indicates that the same thing happens with the mum, but it's 50% of the time rather than 80% of the time. Dads have a vibrant relationship with Jesus and listen to his gospel. Uh, seniors, um, don't waste your life. Some tips. If you're a senior and you're not yet living, or maybe even if you are, if you're living in an aged care facility, can I encourage you 
to go and be part of chapel or go and be part of a Bible study in an aged care facility. Because even though the brethren there don't have long left, many of them are listening harder than they ever have. Now, I don't want to make this sermon about me, but my father, Malcolm, passed away 10 days ago and we had the funeral last week. And it was incredibly sad. And I, I, by God's grace, I got to be with him in the last hours of his life. And I was talking to the activities manager of Acacia Lodge in Beechworth. And I said to her, I, I was just talking to her and she said, she, your dad loved your videos and chapel. And I said, Sorry? because I used to send him these videos and I'd sometimes tell a story about Jesus in these videos. She said, he loved your videos and chapel. I said, Lynn, what do you mean by chapel? Like, I didn't know he went to chapel. Oh, yeah, he went to chapel every week. I used to go and ask everyone who wants to come to chapel and your dad was one of 10 out of the 100 that would always come to chapel. So when, when did this start happening? Oh, as long as I've been working here. So how long have you been working here, Lynn? She said, five and a half years. My dad was going to chapel. He's the guy who raised me in a home where we don't talk about politics and we don't talk about religion, but the last five and a half years of his life, he heard about Jesus and his gospel. Why? Because people went and taught about Jesus in there. Isn't that awesome? Do I thank the Lord for that Catholic priest, Salvation Army guy and the Beechworth Anglican minister? You bet I thank God for him. Wow, isn't that awesome? So fathers, seniors, uncles and aunties, speak with, here's a goal, speak with your nieces and nephews about Jesus and his gospel twice a year. Now if you're an auntie or uncle, you'll want to shower, shower presents on your kids or Easter eggs at Easter and also Christmas. Don't just give them Easter eggs, give them something fantastic that will spiritually grow them with regard to Jesus and his gospel. If you've got nieces or nephews who are boys that are in high school, the Action Bible rocks. It is absolutely fantastic and it'll get the dad reading the Bible more too because the dads pick it up and love it. Uncles and aunties. Um, Everyone, I wonder if it might be helpful to put a 30-minute slot in your diary every Wednesday, Arvo, to, to just invite a couple of people to church. Did you know that recent research says that if a person's de-churched, they used to go to church years ago but have lost connection, there's a 25% chance that if you ask them to come to church with you that they'll come. 25%. And if someone's never, ever had a church background, the statistics say that if you ask them to come to church, there's a 10% chance that they'll come. You know when we get these brochures in our mailbox from Aldi and Woolworths and all that? Do you know what strike rate they think is a really, really good strike rate, it's between sort of 2 and 3%. 10% for people who are completely nothing to do with Jesus. That's a ripper. Um, Bible study leaders. Now, Jody has not asked me to say this. I run into a lot of pastors, and you know what stresses pastors out? They look really stressed around December and January as they're trying to work out which Bible study group leaders are going to be leading this year crazy idea just throwing it out there because of Jesus and his gospel why don't you think about and we all know that things can change but if you're a bible study group leader what about signing up for the next five years and committing to training one new leader each of those five years I reckon that'd take a bit of admin stress away from the staff grow new leaders 
expand the number of people to hear about Jesus and his gospel. Second halfers. I'm almost done. Now, a second halfer. There's a bloke called Bob Buford who wrote a book called Half Time where he encouraged Christian men at the middle of their life to shift from the goal of having success to the goal of having significance. So we've all heard about tree changes, you know, uh, moving, moving from uh, the city to uh, a beautiful leafy place like Jamboree. Um, sea changes, moving up the coast. Mate, what about... What, let, I wonder if we should have a, a new thing, a pea change, like, you know, to permanently, prayerfully preach Jesus. But anyway, it's, it's a bit daggy. But I just want to encourage you as a person who's perhaps halfway through, you're 40, 50, and you're, you're now thinking about what you're going to do with the rest of your life. Is it worth thinking about doing something where you spend the bulk of your week sharing Jesus and his gospel because you're mature you're well resourced you're not going to vomit the gospel onto people's t-shirts you're going to be winsome and do it in relationship you've just got so much going for you that the church and the world needs it's it would just be awful um awesome not awful it'd be great and the last group I want to speak to are those of you here you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, like me when I was 18, you're sitting here thinking to yourself, this Jesus dude's important but I don't follow him. You might be sitting here thinking to yourself, I'm a four P's devotee. That, I, that is really what gets my blood pumping. That's the thing that matters to me and I know that it's not worth it. Perhaps you're a person who thinks to yourself, Jesus, I tell everyone Jesus is in the driver's seat of my life. But when I come to church from Albion Park, I I stop at Caramore, get him out of the boot and put him in the driver's seat so that when I rock up here to Jambrew and drive into the car park, everyone thinks Jesus is in the driving seat, but he's not. I just go to church And then I put him in the boot when we get back on the way home. If you're a person who's a 4P devotee and you know it and you you don't have to tell anyone else around you, I've I've played, I did that, did it for a year, making it out like I I didn't. Didn't give a jats cracker really about Jesus. I was on a trajectory to fame and fortune and everyone's going to know my name kind of thing. If you're one of those people and you know that it's just futile and you've got to change, can, you need to do business with God. I've got a prayer here that I'm going to pray to do business with God and I, and I wonder whether you'd consider praying it with me. Now you're thinking to yourself, how do you change the course of your life by saying a few words? I remember one day with my father, we had a a very bad disagreement when I was about 16 years old and I told him to go and get something which you should never tell your parents to go and get and he was very angry. I saw he was really angry. I started running 
And I ran out the back door down the steps and I looked back and he was still on my hammer. He, he came first in his school in sprinting and, and at age 50 he was still doing good. So I'm across the lawn and there was a, a fence about yay high and I just, so much adrenaline, mate, I sailed over that fence and looked back and he'd stopped at the fence and I thought, oh yeah, taught the silly old fool a lesson. And then I realised about half an hour later, oh, how am I going to get dinner tonight? And I thought to myself... About an hour later, it's going to be really bad. And I realised that when you're in trouble with someone, the best thing you can do, especially when you're in trouble with your earthly old man, you've got to go and chat to him. There's no way out of it. You've got to go and face up to the one you've wronged. And it's the same with the heavenly old man. When we say a prayer, it's not some insignificant thing. It's facing up to the heavenly old man and getting everything back in order. Pray with me if you want to pray this prayer. I'll just pray it and you pray with me if you know that you need to pray this. Dear Heavenly Father, sorry that I have not denied myself. Sorry that I've chased the four Ps. Thank you for sending Jesus to give his life as a ransom for my life. Thank you for saving me. Please, Father, help me to take up my cross and follow Jesus. Amen. Friend, if you prayed that tonight, can you go and chat to Jody about it? Because it would be really important to get some, um, some good help as you embark on a new journey. You need to get some gear.